I looked back at it and I thought to myself, that even bores me. And I thought, the poor people are going to have to listen to this sermon. It's probably going to bore them, too. I mean, the story that Kevin read to you this morning is not the most dynamic story in the whole Bible. I mean, nobody dies. Uh, nothing gets blown up. There aren't any car wrecks. I mean, there, there's nothing really all that life-changing in this story. And, and I looked at that message and I thought, what am I supposed to do with it? But that's when God spoke to me. And God said, Barry, did you bother to ask me what I think of this story? Uh, no, not really, but maybe I should. Uh, yeah, Barry, maybe you should. And so I prayed and I reread the text again and I saw something that I'd never seen before. And so I tore up the sermon that I'd written and started another one because it's really a great story in what was read today. I mean, there's a lot more here than meets the eye. And I ended up changing the title to what you see, no way, yeah, but, and whatever you say. Because these are three different kinds of people that Jesus meets on the journey as he heads to Jerusalem. In fact, these are the three types of people we, we run into, they're the three kinds of people that probably even populate most churches in America. Now, Luke tells us that Jesus was on a journey to Jerusalem, passing through Samaria. Uh, the Bible says that he actually resolutely set out. Now, it's kind of interesting if you go back and you read it in the Greek text, this set out, this journey, that word is used about six different times in some form just in this short story, he set out, he's going, he's going, he's going. And that word then is obviously pretty important if you're going to use that word that many times. See, Jesus was on the move. Jesus was going someplace. Jesus was a man on a mission. He was going to go to Jerusalem, and he took the shortcut through Samaria. That must have freaked out the disciples to begin with. And when they get close to where he wants to stop, he sends a, a little group ahead and says, tell them that I'm coming. And here he gets his very first reaction. He hears, no way. No way. We don't want you in town. You're not welcome here. Keep on going. Uh, it probably would have said, hit the road, Jack. They would have said, adios, hasta la vista, whatever. But the response of the disciples to this no way is complete indignation to the point of absurdity and great amusement. Uh, you know, it said, Jesus, let's call down fire from heaven and nuke these ingrates way back to the Stone Age. We'll show them. I got to tell you that when I first read that story as a kid growing up at St. John's in Seward, Nebraska, I laughed. I thought it was pretty funny. That somebody wouldn't call down fire and smoke some people. That, that actually kind of appealed to me. Uh, and, you know, I can, I, I can hardly, you know, imagine Jesus' reaction. But in verse 55, what does it say? It says, He rebuked them. Now, I wish somebody would have been there that day to um, take notes so that we could have heard what a scolding from Jesus sounded like. Uh, but on future readings of this story, and I've read this story many times over the years, I did not find it quite so amusing. Even as absurd and ridiculous as this request was, and by the way, Jesus said he told them they couldn't do it, which must have implied that they, they could have been able to do it. 
had Jesus not given them permission. But even as absurd and ridiculous as this request was, it still tells us something about those people who were closest to Jesus. And it's this, they still had no clue who he really was. And when I read that, that really kind of makes me sad. I mean, Jesus was truly alone among these people who did not understand him or his purpose. And I'm going to revisit that point a little bit later on in the message. But, you know, rather than acquiescing here to the disciples' request, we find that Jesus shows us the way that he responds to people who say, no way, people who aren't interested in him. And so these no way folks, what does he do? He just moves on. He just moves on. He doesn't stop, doesn't stop to talk to them. He doesn't punish them. He does not go out of his way to proselytize or evangelize them. He just kind of says, okay, if that's the way you want it for now, so be it. And Jesus just keeps on going. In fact, I've looked and looked and looked at my Bible for years. I didn't ever really see Jesus ever chasing after anybody. Jesus makes a presentation. Nobody responds. He moves on. Now, why does he just keep moving on? Well, again, remember, we're on a journey here. That word six different times in different ways. Jesus is a man with a plan. He's a man on a mission. He's not going to beat the door down to go where he is not wanted. Jesus doesn't force himself on people. It's then that he comes to our second kind of person in this story, and I'm going to call them the Yabbits. The Yabbits. Their motto, you'll see a little screen up there. Here's a, here's a classic Yabbit guy. <laughs> I mean, he's buried. Help! You know, Yabbit, 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 Yabbit. Uh, well, we call them the yeah butters or whatever. Their motto is, yeah, but this, yeah, but that, uh, yeah, but <laughs> they'll, they'll yab at you to death. Uh, and you again, think about this story. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then there comes the second guy, and Jesus says to him, follow me. But, the, but he said first, Lord, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, proclaim the kingdom of God. And, and another one said, Lord, I will follow you. But first let me uh, say farewell back at home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, when you read this, on the surface, what we have here are three pretty reasonable uh, requests from three potential disciples, and we have what appear on the surface to be three kind of unreasonable responses from Jesus. Now, we really don't know what this first guy was angling for who said, you know, I'll follow you, um, but it's not what Jesus asked of him. I mean, for all we know... Um, you know, he had a big home, and Jesus was basically telling him, if you follow me, you're going to be homeless. And so kind of a yeah, but, and he was gone. Now, the second guy, Jesus says, follow me, and he says, yeah, but, uh, yeah, but i, I got to go bury my father. That's a pretty reasonable request, yet it is not what Jesus asks of him either. I mean, for all we know, had this man agreed, Jesus would have led him back to his father. And who knows what would have happened if Jesus got back to his dead father. I mean, after all, 
some funny things going to happen when Jesus got around dead people. Uh, they had trouble staying dead. Uh, now, understand, Jesus is not insensitive here, friends, about people who grieve, but he has a way of turning their sorrow into joy. Jesus says, follow me. However, the man, yeah, butted, and he was gone. And the third guy also makes what seems to be a pretty reasonable request of going home to say goodbye to his family. But remember, we're on a journey here. There's a timetable here. I mean, Jesus is the man with the plan. He's really saying, are you in or are you out? And this guy says, yeah, but, yeah, but i got to go home first. Now, I want you to know something about these three yeah, butters in the story. They had excellent reasons to resist. Yet, what do we find here? Jesus is very consistent. Your yeah, but will always get a... Don't bother. Now, why is that? I think Jesus is trying to tell us something. It's really important that you and I understand this at all. And here it is. Jesus is not interested in our excuses. Well, if he's not interested in our excuses, what's he interested in? It's called our obedience. He said, you just follow me. Be obedient. Let me take care of the details. Now, I've often wondered, and this is just me, but I've often wondered about how many folks who actually call themselves Christians are truly and honestly Christ followers. Now, this is kind of where it gets a little hairy in this story, uh, because we're no longer talking about what you believe, we're talking about the way you live. Now, here's a story of a bunch of people who want to follow Jesus, but they flat out won't do what he is asking them to do. I mean, think about this. How can you follow someone if you are not willing to do what they ask you to do? I'll tell you, it just doesn't work. I mean, he's on a journey. He's a man with a plan. He's a man on a mission. Do you want to come along or not? Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. He said, I don't care what you believe if you're not willing to do what I'm telling you to do. You know something? Jesus gets that kind of person a lot. The yeah butters. In fact, if I've studied this congregation well enough over five and a half years, there's more than one here starting right down front. In fact, I, I sometimes think that uh, every last one of us is a yeah butter. You know, what are the two greatest commandments? You know the two greatest commandments? I was asking the Bible one time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Or better yet, love your neighbor as I have loved you. Now, those are supposed to be the two easy ones. Uh, that's kind of the bottom line. Love God, love your neighbor. That's kind of like putting the limbo stick up at seven foot high. Uh, it shouldn't be too hard to get under those two. Yeah, but uh, what about my neighbor? You don't know him or her. I mean, these people who live next to me, are, they're like savages. Go on, Jesus. You know, love my neighbor, but yeah, but you don't know these folks. 
I'm supposed to love my family. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. I love them, but you don't know weird Uncle Harold. You don't know that crazy aunt that lives in Waxahachie. You know, I love them, but... Yeah, love your neighbor. Yeah, but what about that, that troublemaker in church? What about that parking lot talker? Am I supposed to love them too? Well, i got to tell you something, friends. Yeah, but it's not going to get you anywhere. In fact, I tell you where yeah, but gets you. It gets you nowhere. I mean, how many, let's, uh, what God wants is what? Obedience and trust. He's going to figure out the details. Let me, let me give you one more. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of lower the limbo stick a little bit from seven foot down to, oh, let's try four foot. How many people honestly give a tithe to the church? You don't need to raise your hand. Just answer that simple. How many of you honestly give a tithe to the church, to God's storehouse called First Lutheran Church? Now, let me explain. A tithe is 10% of your income as a sacrifice to God. Now, if not, why not? You've been told to do so. It's right in God's Word. Yet, statistics tell us that only 2% of all Christians tithe. Isn't that amazing? 2%. Tithe. Yeah, but I got a good reason. And here comes the yeah, but again. And if you say, yeah, but Pastor, I got a good reason not to, I would probably tell you I'm sure you do. But God is not interested in your yeah, but. God is interested in your obedience. God is interested in your trust. He's interested that you will trust him to take care of what you need. In my former church, and with some individuals, but I did this once at a former church, I offered a money-back guarantee on people's tithes. I told it, you start tithing, 10% of your income, bring it to church. If after one year, give it a year, if after one year you do not believe that God is honoring his part in this deal, we'll give your money back. No questions. If you do not see with your very own eyes that 90% of your money can be blessed by God, and it will go farther than the 100% that you cling to, we'll give your money back. I'll give you a personal, that's not a personal example, but it is personal just being a pastor. I had a young couple come in, and they told me, Pastor, we would really like to give more money to the church, but we don't know how we can do it. So we sat down, we took a sheet of paper, we started writing down, and I said, well, how much money do you guys make? And between them, it was, a, it was quite a big sum of money. I almost wish I could trade places with them. Um, and I said, okay, now what, what are your fixed expenses every month? And they talked about uh, the brand-new house they bought and the two brand-new cars they bought, and we put that down, and then they just bought a summer home up in Wisconsin. We put down their monthly mortgage that. And what do you guesstimate your utilities to be? We put that down, <laughs> like child care and all this other kind of stuff, and it got down to the point, <clears throat> and they said, we're, you know, we're only able to give like $10 a week to church. I said, looking at this, I'm surprised you can come up with $10. And I told them, I said, here's what I, I'm going to suggest to you. I mean, first of all, I was, and I've done this to many people, I, I take their credit cards away from them, and I've done that to any number of people. In fact, I got some I should probably give back to some people. 
I found them on my desk the other day when I was cleaning them, but I think they belong to people in Belvedere. <laughs> that was about four churches ago. <laughs> um, I guess we'll be back there in August. I'll see if I can find them. Maybe, maybe they got new ones. But at any rate, um, I said, here's how much money you make. This is a tithe. And they both looked at that and went, Ugh. I said, I'll tell you what. You write a check out for that, put it in an envelope. When you come to church Sunday, you don't need to put it in the plate. You can hand it to me at the door. You know, kind of slide it to me as we shake hands. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to hang on to it. And they don't deposit the week's offerings until about Tuesday morning. If I don't hear from you by Tuesday, I'm going to put it in the offering. But if you call me and say, no, no, don't, I'll give it back to you. Never called. But every Sunday, slipped an envelope in my hand. Until about five or six months went by, and the guy came out and shook my hand, and I went, he says, yeah, it's in the plate. Now, I'm just saying, no one has ever asked for their money back. Why? Simple, God is faithful. Are we willing to do what God asks us to do? Or will we stand there with our whole load of yabbit excuses and really yabbit Jesus literally to death? Now, I've only given you three cases of where we yabbit God, but there's a whole lot of other ways in which we do it. I mean, each and every one of us has yabbitted God, and, and many of us will continue to do that. And that, that's really the difference between being a follower and a disciple. A lot of people follow, but really don't want to be discipled. A follower is willing to give God a little bit of their lives, maybe out of guilt, or and then have a whole bunch of excuses for all the other things that God asks them to do. Now, I've told you that there are three kinds of people. We've heard of the no ways. We heard from the yeah buts. Uh, both of these got a similar response from Jesus, and it was goodbye. But here's our third type. Yes, Lord, whatever you say. Well, we've got to be local here. Uh, one of Jason's buddies, we had to put him up on the screen, Phil Robertson. You know, And Phil Robertson, you know, Duck Dynasty guy, he would say, yes, Lord, whatever you say. Now, people who say, yes, Lord, whatever you say, are these great and powerful people of God who understand the great mysteries of the universe and spirituality and know God's very own mind and heart? No, not really. This third type, again, is kind of that stumbling, fumbling, bumbling disciple who doesn't really have much of a clue about Jesus or what he's up to. And, uh, and once again, they kind of get it all wrong. You know, I love this. You know, shall we call down fire from heaven? Uh, no, John, don't even go there. Uh, shall we have fire consume them? Uh, no, James, and, and quit playing with matches. I mean, but these are the people who said, but they still followed. And I told you earlier, I'd come back to... Jesus being completely alone, even in the midst of his close friends who did not understand him or have the slightest clue. In fact, when we repeatedly keep seeing the most outrageous and bizarre responses from these people, we almost have to ask, why on earth would Jesus surround himself with a band of idiots like this? But then let's remember, we belong to that band too. We've already heard the answer several times this morning. To be a disciple, to be a true follower of Jesus, we are not asked to be great thinkers. We are asked to be obedient. I mean, the disciples didn't have a clue who Jesus was. 
They didn't have a clue where Jesus was going. They didn't have a clue as to what was going to happen to them. All they knew was this was a man with a plan on a journey, and they wanted to go with him, and so they were willing to say, whatever you say. Now, there's a whole other great story where Peter is fishing all night, didn't catch anything, and Jesus said, you know, go out and throw it on the other side of the boat, and Peter's probably going, hmm, oy vey. But then he says, yeah, okay, nevertheless, we will. I mean, basically, he says, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. And look what happens. I mean, just think about this original group of disciples, this meager bunch of peasants, fishermen, a tax collector, and a few farmers. The Christian church was born. And 2,000-plus years later, we still sit here in awe of the magnificence of what God did in the lives of these men through his son, Jesus. And hopefully, we're still sitting here waiting and hoping and praying that God will do it again through us. Well, the question, I guess, in this sermon is, where, where are you or who are you in this story? I mean, there are probably, I don't know, hopefully not, but maybe there are a few no ways here today. My guess would be that there are a few more yeah, butters. Yeah, but Jesus, there are all these reasons that I cannot lay my life at your feet and follow you and trust you completely. Yeah, but Jesus, I cannot really do what you've asked me to do because I have all of these great and wonderful reasons. Yeah, but Jesus, if you just wait a little bit longer, my life will be in place in a place where I can actually do what it is that you're asking me to do today. I just say, friends, that just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because Jesus continues to go on his journey, and he'll go without you. And it doesn't have to be that way. So it's kind of a choice, obedience and trust, or doubt and and excuses. Obedience and trust or doubt and excuses. I'm hoping you'll all say, I think I'd rather follow. Don't necessarily know what's going to happen. Don't necessarily know where we're going to go. Don't necessarily know what's going to happen to me when we get there. But Lord, I'd be willing to look you in the eyes today and say, whatever you say, I will follow. Now, when I got done with the sermon, I was trying to think of a song for today, and we're going to sing some other that have to do with this, but um, I, I found a, a, a contemporary song that I really like, Stephen Curtis Chapman, and he wrote a song called Whatever. You know, and today, everybody says that. I mean, if, 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 I, if I say to Gage, do you want to do this, Gage is going to go, whatever. <laughs> you know, and, and what Stephen Curtis Chapman did was to take that word, whatever, and turn it into a great response. He said, I made a list, wrote down from A to Z, all the ways I thought you could best use me. Told all my strengths and my abilities. I formed a plan that seemed to make good sense. I laid it out for you so sure you'd be convinced. I made my case, presented my defense, but then I read the letter that you sent me. It said that all you really wanted me from me was just whatever. Whatever you say, whatever I will obey, Whatever, Lord, have your way, because you are my God, whatever. So strike a match, set fire to the list of all my good intentions of my preconceived ideas. 
I want to do your will no matter what it is. Give me faith to follow where you lead me. Oh, Lord, give me courage and strength to do whatever. Let's pray. Father, we want to be a, a whatever also, whatever you say. And we can't tell you what it is we're going to do for you. That just doesn't work. We need to look for what it is that you do for us and to look back at what you've already done for us through the suffering, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. We are such blessed people to be called into your family by the Holy Spirit. We are such blessed people to be redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, there should be no way that we ever say no way. And yes, as sinful human beings, we're going to, yeah, but on occasion. But we pray that you help eliminate that, too, from our vocabulary and just be kind of people who say that no matter what, we're going to follow you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.